Hi, and welcome to the Evolutionary Parenting Podcast with Tracy Castles, PhD. I am Tracy, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of welcoming Tracy Gillette. She is the founder of Raised Good, and more recently, the Raised Good Parenting Summit, which took place last year. Her and I sat down to talk about education, or specifically, alternatives to our modern schooling structure for our kids. Drawing on discussions from both of our personal experiences, as well as the research out there on education or learning more generally, we spoke about some of the pros, the cons, the struggles, the benefits of what it is to educate our children in hopes of helping families make decisions that are best for them about what might work with schooling for their children. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and without further ado, here we go. I am so grateful to be here with the brilliant Tracy Gillette of Raised Good. If you don't know Raised Good, then you're probably not a parent. But um, in that case, if you're here, welcome. And either way, she will have some brilliant insights for all of us here. Uh, If you don't know, Tracy recently had her Raised Good Summit, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about. But really, the focus of our conversation today is going to be on education and rather some more non-traditional means of education. So Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So do you want to tell us just a little bit about Raised Good, just for anyone who might perchance oddly not know what it is? Sure. Thank you. And you're too kind. But uh, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know Raised Good, um, and even if you do, um, it's a website. It started as a blog when I was a new mum and just really wanted to share my experiences of what I call natural parenting and Tracy calls evolutionary parenting and other people call gentle parenting and positive parenting and all those names that it goes by, but really sort of a non-traditional um, authoritative kind of path and um, wanting to share some of the joys that I found in motherhood that I found I was kind of having alone and I wanted to share with others. And it just really turned into a bit of a community and we've now got a fairly large and active Facebook group um, and Instagram page, which is very engaged. Uh, I've got eBooks and guides and last year we had the summit, which was amazing. So yeah, it's a passion project and um, yeah, it's become part of my life. So I love it. That's wonderful. Well, we'll get to more about the summit and everything a bit later, because I do want to talk about it, especially as it is somewhat relevant to what we're going to talk about today, given one of your speakers that you had. Um, But we're going to talk today about education and specifically about, as I said, these non, well, it's not even non-traditional, perhaps they're even more traditional if you're thinking about an evolutionary perspective and history, but a non-modern traditional form of education. Uh, both Tracy and I do do not send our kids to a traditional school. So we have that in common that we've talked about. We've talked about the pros and cons. And this is the kind of discussion that I'd like to bring up for people because I know there are so many families that are questioning the education system. And I'm sure the pandemic has made it that much harder for people to kind of navigate um, traditional, modern traditional schooling. So we want to talk about some of these options and hopefully maybe address some of the questions that families might have who are considering going into or rather going away from 
modern education as it currently is. So let's start. I know I always get the question when people hear that I homeschool, they seem to assume that I do it because I must have had the most horrible schooling experience of my life. And so I wouldn't inflict that on my children. Uh, that's not the case. I actually had a really wonderful schooling experience and I, I loved it. But I also saw that what I had was quite different. Um, for you, Tracy, what has been your schooling background and experience? Uh, well, I, I guess it was just, like you say, the modern traditional experience. Um, so I went to kindergarten. I, I'm from Australia, so I went to kindergarten when I was four. And I didn't enjoy kindergarten. I didn't enjoy my teacher. And my mom came every day. I don't know how she did it because she had my brother who was two years younger and she was pregnant with my next brother. Um, but she was sort of the the, um, the lunch lady every day um, because she was there helping to support me, which I'm so grateful for, um, particularly in hindsight, as I now know what that means as, as being a mother. But then, yeah, started school and from what I remember, I loved it. And, and my mum says, as soon as I got to school, I loved it. Um, so I started school at five, went through primary school, and then in Australia, we just have primary school uh, through to when you're about 11 or 12 to grade six, and then you just do high school, which is six to 12. And I did really well academically. I had a great experience at school from what I remember. I don't remember really having any issues and then I went on to university and did six years at university. So um, yeah, as far as looking at it from an academic perspective, I would say it was a successful experience. But now being a mum and starting to have a bit of insight into what it was all about, I do look back and think, how much did I really thrive and how much did I just survive schooling? That's such a great, it's funny. My mom was exactly the same as yours, except she didn't have the little baby brother. Mine wasn't born yet, but I started junior kindergarten because we had that in Ontario. So I was three when I started kindergarten because my birthday's late. So with a later birthday, I did turn four in those first semester, but she used to have to come get me early most days because I just, I think I was too young to really do it, but I have I love the teachers. I still have such fond memories. They ended up, they were kindergarten teachers for me, my brother and my sister. And we're 14 years apart, my sister and I. So they, I think I was their first year and my sister was one of their last years at that school because they had transferred together. But they were wonderful and they were supportive and they tried to see me through. But I still didn't really... It was scary. I think I was just a bit too young to start off. But I think the only reason that I was able to go on like further in school and love it was because of that support from my mom early on that she was willing to come and get me. I never felt like I had to just suck it up and deal with it. I was able to process those fears with her, go home, decompress, start again the next day. Uh, and that was really, that was nice for me, but it's true. Like you, I did the same all the way through. I did a bit more than six years post-secondary. I don't even want to think about how many years I did post-secondary. But um, after that, it's. Uh, but I do look back and I do think that some of the struggles I had in terms of, of growth mindsets, everything that we can talk about, really stemmed from that early experience there of what they expected, the, the format of everything. I did well. I, I 
technically thrived in it. And I put that in quotation marks because I don't think I really did. I think it just came across that way on paper in terms of grades and whatnot, as opposed to actual learning. So given that you've kind of looked back, this kind of segues to what I want to ask next, but what was your reason for keeping your son out of the modern school system where you are? Like the many reasons, I'm sure there's going to be more than one, but what are the ones that you're willing to share? Yeah, like I think we could spend the entire podcast on this <laughs> because there, yeah, and 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 I think we should highlight this is not to demonize schools at all, and and also to recognize that each family is different. And I I went on to um, to university and studied veterinary science, and I'm not working as a vet. I'm very lucky that I'm working from home. But if I was doing that, I'm like, man, how would I homeschool my son? So I know that there are so many people that can't do this. And so I don't think it's necessarily the only answer. And we have a bit of a hybrid system that we do anyway. But getting back to your question of why we did it, um, I remember the first time that I heard the word unschooling. And, and I think my son was uh, maybe one or two and we'd done EC, we'd done bed sharing and I was breastfeeding for many years to follow. And I heard the word unschooling and I thought, oh my gosh, this is just taking it too far. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Education is important. Like, my son will go to school, he will go to university, he will do well, he'll be successful in life. And that's really what we're told the path looks like. But my curiosity got the better of me within a few minutes and really started to learn about it. And, and the more I learned, the more I started to question what the school system was, was really about and how it would serve my son. And when he came to be around three or four and we really started to think about what are we gonna do, I just thought, I know my son, I know that he's a highly sensitive kid and we discovered that at this point. And I just felt like putting him into a system that was, could be largely coercive. I felt like it would just crush his soft little heart and it would either crush him or it would harden him. And that's not what I wanted to happen. And um, so I started to look for alternatives and homeschooling was, was really the option that we, that we turned to. Um, I remember talking to a counsellor at the time as well when I found that he was highly sensitive and I said to her, like, in your opinion, when do you think kids are ready to go to school, if they're ready to go to school at all? And she said, well, when they get their mixed feelings and when they're able to hold two things at once, like, I'm excited to go to school, but I'm nervous. I like my best friend, but he annoyed me yesterday, you know, being able to hold these two things at the same time because it's a pretty complex situation that we're sending our kids into. It'd be pretty complex for me if I thought I had to go and sit with 30 adults, you know, for a day and, and make friends with them. So, um, and she said, that typically happens for kids around age five to seven. But for highly sensitive kids, it's normally at least two years delayed. Could be seven to nine, could be older. And so I started observing my son. I was like, no, he has one feeling, one intense feeling at a time, and that's it. So it was really coming down to him. And then through Raise Good, I've been fairly vocal about simplicity in childhood and what kids need in their childhood. And I fully believe that kids need play. 
And I think that school takes up too much time. I'm like, he needs time to be a kid. He needs time to be playful. He needs time for creativity. He needs time to be bored. We value being outside. We value um, being in nature. And I just thought it takes up too much time. It's not that I don't value education, but I don't think that academics are the only thing that are important in childhood. Um, I also started to discover a lot of the work of Peter Gray and looked at, you know, he talks a lot about the rise of anxiety and depression, um, typically in teenagers, but now as, as you'd well know, Tracy, you know, getting younger and younger and kids, part of it, he talks about kids just feeling like they don't have any control over their lives and this intrinsic um, or internal locus of control. You know, I've got control over my life. And when we give over that control so much to other people, to adults telling them what to do in sports, to adults telling them what to do at school, to marking them and putting a grade beside them and telling them how good we think they are, I'm just like, I don't think that's what kids need. So yeah, really value social emotional learning. And I felt like school wasn't the place for my son. So we haven't gone down that path. He's seven now. And something that I've learned in parenting is that we make a decision for what's going on right now. I don't know what will be happening in two to three years. And if I try to make a decision for what's going to happen then or what's going to happen when he could be high school age, then it will like paralyze me and I won't be able to make a decision now. So what we're doing now works and then we'll make a decision in the future for what comes next. I love your mentioning about that lack of control and everything, because for us, it was a little different because my stepson did do the modern traditional education route. And, you know, I, I hope it's not too much for me to share. He didn't like it at all. He really, really didn't. And one of the things that really struck me, I had two experiences that I think really pushed us towards it that I feel spoke to a lot of the things you said. But the first was, when he was struggling one year with something, the recommendation was hours of extra homework. And we're talking, he was either grade two or three. I can't remember which one. And we said no, because already we were both gone all day. The weeks we had him, we get home at six after he's been in after school care. We want family time. We want him to play. We want to go outside for walks. We want to do all these different things. And you're telling me the only way you can keep him at the supposed grade level he's supposed to be in everything is for him to spend two to three hours after dinner. I, I don't even know what bedtime then looks like because he was going to bed at like 830. So it's like eat quickly, get to like do two hours of more work after you've been at school all day and then go to bed. And that seemed just so counterintuitive to what is best for a child at that point. And again, that was not something I had. And this speaks to that individual nature of I was fine getting stuff done. I was fine getting it all. I also got to see my friends have time with family. This was not something that was an issue for me. And I think there are a lot of families where it works really, really well because their children do well in that environment and everything like that. But that was the first for us, though, was this idea that when things didn't work, the only solution seemed to be you're going to be doing it this way, which is you're going to have to take on more and more. The second was actually a bit later when we started attending a homeschooling group. So by chance, I 
met a wonderful mom at a coffee shop when my daughter was really young. She was only about two. And I was thinking about homeschooling because we'd had these experiences with my stepson. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, where do we go? And she just happened to be in there with her youngest, similar age to my daughter, who's 10 now, and we're still homeschooling. And she was waiting there while her older two were in a homeschool art class just a couple doors down. So we started chatting and she said, you should come to the group. And, you know, we meet up once a week and it's just social. And sometimes the kids will do an activity, but usually it's just a big mixed age play group for kids to go out. So I started attending and I wasn't there long when lo and behold, there was my stepson's second grade teacher with her kids. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Here she was. I remember her as a very authoritarian teacher. And there she is homeschooling with her two kids. She'd left teaching. And I just thought, oh, okay. She seems to know a lot more about the system than I do. And if she thinks that she's going to take her kids out, I feel like there's a little bit more to this that I need to explore. So there's just, there was a lot that kind of came that I felt spoke to the idea that children need, you know, again, like you said, more play and directed, self-directed play, because yes, you can play with friends on the playground, but oftentimes even the way play happens at school is very rule-based, I find in many cases, because I think it has to be when you have a lot of different children engaging together, there need to be a set of rules that come out. But anyway, this is all to say it is I think everything you've said is absolutely spot on about some of the reasons why people step away and some of the reasons why I think people who have to utilize modern schooling, even if they don't want to, I'm not talking about people that want to use it and enjoy it and find their children thrive in it, do really well stepping away from the overscheduling of kids afterwards, where they can give their kids the time to come home and be like, just do what you want to do. Go, go and do it. So you mentioned you have a bit of a hybrid going and you have a different one than me because I, we strictly homeschool, but you have, and I know because I'm jealous because I used to be in BC where Tracy is and my daughter used to have a bit of a hybrid while we were there too. We just don't have it now. But could you tell people a bit about the hybrid you have? Because I think it's important that people know what kind of options there are out there in terms of these hybrid models. It's not you have to take everything on yourself. There's often in a lot of places, though, as I can attest, not all, other things that work with the homeschooling idea. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, we started out, I I started researching the options. Um, I'm not from BC, so it wasn't um, intuitive or not from Canada. So it wasn't intuitive to me to know what the Canadian system was. And um, so when we got to the age where it's like, well, September's coming up, uh, we need to figure out what we're doing. And so I looked up homeschooling and, and we joined a homeschooling co-op, probably probably similar to what, what you'd been in, Tracy, the, the North Vancouver home learners, and we've been to playgroups and mixed age and all that stuff. It was awesome. And so I got some pointers from some of the mums and you could basically become a home learner and go off the grid and just do stuff yourself. Um, or you could register with a school and then they would, um, you know, assign you a teacher and, and help to direct your home learning experience. 
And so I came across a um, came across a program called Island Discovery Learning Community, which is on Bowen Island, um, just off the coast of Vancouver. And I spoke to the principal and said, you know, we're interested in in registering you with you as a homeschooler. And he said, well, we've actually got one space left. It's just one morning a week for an art class um, with the kindergarten grade one group. Would you like to join? And I said, oh. Sounds awesome. Yeah, let's let's give that a go. So we started commuting across to uh, getting up early crack of dawn and getting on a ferry and coming over to this island where we now live, um, which might give it away, um, and, and going to this art class with this, it's an attachment-based school. So it's like it's like if I dreamed what I could create for my son and it's just manifested itself. Uh, because they are respectful, they're attachment based. They there's um, 11 or 12 kids per class, um, mixed age, sort of across about um, three years, and and we started attending it. And it was just fantastic. And then one of the other kids uh, moved to France for six months, and so another spot became available. So we started coming two days a week, commuting over. And it was going really well. Um, he had a challenging year in grade one. And, um, but again, the school was just so supportive. And they're like, if he's not, if he doesn't want to come, you don't come. Um, if you go to Australia for a month, you go to Australia for a month and you come back. Um, not now during the pandemic, but uh, yeah. So, and now we sort of had to come to the decision of what are we going to do? Because he was making friends in this class and then we were getting on a boat every day and going back to North Vancouver, to to the suburbs, to our house, and we weren't really getting that community. And so one of the challenges that we found with it was was just that we were we were plugging into this community, but we were kind of half there, half not there. So pandemic hit, we realised it was in our face all the things that we don't need, uh, that we don't need to be near all of the conveniences that we had. We valued simplicity. We'd been looking at moving to a smaller place for a long time. And then a block of land became available and we looked at it. We sold our house within about a week and um, moved to this island. And now we're living in this cottage that you'll see behind us. And um, and my son is in this class two days a week um, with 12 kids and he loves it. And they run around in the forest and, um, yeah, and it's awesome. There's no grades, there's no homework, um, and they're just free to be kids. And then we're homeschooling the rest of the time, and the and the school helps support us and give us ideas and stuff. So that's really awesome. So, what does homeschooling the rest of the time look for look like for you guys? So, I would say we're down the unschooling end of the spectrum. So, I think there's yeah, so many different ways of homeschooling and different. Um, yeah, paths that you can go down, but we're definitely down the unschooling end. We're not particularly organized. Uh, we don't have a schedule or anything. We don't try to make it look like school at home. We just basically follow our son's lead. So he got really into numbers and math when he was quite young. Um, probably when he was about three or four, he started to really get interested in that. So that's been a focus. He loves science. Um, and it's really been over the last six months that he started to get interested in reading. And I think that's those two subjects are kind of the biggest um, 
they're kind of the biggest challenges I think for parents or one of the biggest fears like if I homeschool my kid will they ever learn to read and I heard Peter Gray say early on if you have books if the parents read if you live in a literate society if there are words around your kid's going to learn to read you know and obviously there can be learning disabilities and and other things to take into consideration but it can be a challenge to have that faith you're like but then i see this like four and a half year old and they're reading and my seven-year-old isn't that interested and it was with tom it was incredible he suddenly started to get interested and within about two weeks he was reading books and it was like not like huge chapter books but you know he's he's reading mo willems and and he's just sitting there and reading them because he's interested and i think that's one of the biggest things is when the child is interested you're more than 50 percent of the way there and then you build on that so i guess that's probably our approach to it is following his lead what he's interested in so yeah we sit down and we do some math and we do some reading but a lot of our days are probably like yours. We do a lot of Lego, we do puzzles, we get outside, um, but we'll even go for bike rides and he'll start doing math on the bike ride. What is this plus that, or this many groups of that? You know, it doesn't have to look like sitting down at a table. Yeah, it's funny, my son too, he's just turned five, but at four got really interested in numbers. And speaking about going out, we, right before this actually, I took the kids out for just under two hour walk in the woods by our house with the snow and stuff. We'd found a new spot to kind of check out. And of course he finds a stick, breaks it off. And in the snow starts writing, okay, mom, one plus one equals. He's like, what is it? I'm like, oh, okay. We're doing math in the snow now. But it is, it is hard to trust that. Cause I still sometimes feel that way. I have to admit, like, I think it's natural for people to struggle with this. And I know I do. There are times when I look around at my daughter's peers, less so my son, because he's only five. Um, but I look at my daughter's peers and sometimes, oh, should she be doing that? Or they'll study a particular topic in school. And I'm, oh, should I be adding that in somehow? Like, have I missed that? And then I start thinking about the things that she is interested in that we are studying that they're not studying because we're following her lead as much as possible. But one thing I wanted to talk about, which I thought was relevant to what you said about, you know, they learn to read if they live in a literate society, as long as there's no, you know, disabilities, something. My daughter's dyslexic. And I think some people felt that when we talked about homeschooling, that that should have been more of a reason to send her to school, that, you know, they can handle it. And in fact, what I found through my own research and everything is that it's actually depending, there are schools that are excellent and deal with this, but so many don't actually deal with that. And they don't have the systems in place. I know I live in Ontario now. And the last I read, there's a class action lawsuit going on over people who are dyslexic in public school systems about how left behind they were for years and still are in many cases. There has not been a concerted effort to address the needs of those with special individualized learning plans, et cetera. And I think that's really important for parents to realize is that although you can hear that your child should be in school to address X, Y, or Z, 
in many cases, at least most schools do not address it in the way that you may want. And there are specialized smaller schools. There are places that are excellent. So it doesn't mean you have to jump into homeschooling. It doesn't mean you have to forego everything. But it really don't take it for granted that they're going to be able to address the needs of your child simply because it's a institution of education. So many cases, and it comes down a lot to funding, let's be honest. I mean, the funding for education is abysmal. So this isn't a knock on teachers by any stretch. I don't know how teachers could handle 30 kids in a classroom. Here it's up, you know, 25 to 30 kids in a classroom. If you have someone with dyslexia, the amount of one-on-one time needed, that's not possible. And we have children with severe disabilities that do not get that educational assistant because there isn't enough funding for it. So you really have to look at where you're at and what is happening in your school system to decide what kind of support a child with special needs is able to get. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think one of the things that you kind of raised there is um, it, it's about us as parents too, isn't it? Like it, it's not just what's best for the, well, it is what's best for the child, but so much of it comes down to us. Um, like you talk about the fears of, you know, an, another child is learning this, should I be doing that? And that it comes down to all this way that we're parenting, isn't it? It's right from the start. Like, should I be sleep training my kid? Should I be still breastfeeding when they're four? Um, you know, what's going on? And, and so much of that self-growth that we have to do. And I, I remember learning about... Um, when I started learning about unschooling and it was saying you might need to de-school your child, like if they'd been in in um, school for say like four years, then you might have a period of de-schooling for like four months to like get the school out of them kind of thing. And I thought, well, I can skip that step because that doesn't apply to me because my son didn't go to class, go to school. Um, although, we're, you know, we're going to this hybrid situation now, but um but then I realized actually, no, it applies to the parents. Like we're de-schooling ourselves. Like, and, and I think it's like making the distinction between learning and teaching and school and education. Because I was very successful in school, but I learned how to pass tests. I learned how to memorize. <laughs> that is not the same as learning. And I think some of us can be exceptional at school. Um, because we've learned how to navigate the system. We've learned what makes a teacher happy. We've learned how to pass the test. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we've, you know, really got a good education. Um, having said that, I'm so grateful for my education. But, and and it's a wonderful education that I got. But um, I just think there's other ways that you can achieve it as well. I love that de-schooling. I am still in the process, I think, because I don't think I'm quite there. And I feel like I need a lot more than four months to do that. <laughs> I think my oh, kids will be off somewhere after, whether it's a university, and I'm still going to be traumatized by trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> like, again, I love the, I loved what I did, but this whole, that it's the cultural battle. We've so normalized what education should look like. And to the point where, I mean, there are very extreme views going on about education. I remember hearing people telling me that they believe that homeschooling is the equivalent of child abuse. And, you know, it takes, and someone said it to me knowing I homeschool. So that was an awkward moment of conversation. Oh, 
okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah, lacking a few social skills there. But uh, um, it is, and I see that there's such strong views on either side, and it's you know I see why some people who have had kids in really negative experiences need to de-school and probably speak very negatively about the schooling system. I have friends and I really like the way they approach it is they view schooling as just an element of education. It's just, it's one part that fits for them really well. Their kids thrive in a school environment and so it works, but they don't see it as education per se. A lot of what they do outside of school is where they see their kids learning about all sorts of different things. And so, again, I think it goes to that idea that you don't have to keep your kid out to get an edu- like to get an education as we're talking about it versus test taking, et cetera. But it, you do have to, I think, be mindful of the fact that what school is doing is not necessarily educating the way you want, right? And that's such a hard thing to kind of put together there, I think, for a lot of people, because we just assume schooling equals education. And exactly. And I think it's it's one of these conversations that's very hard to have. Um, I love having, I I love these conversations, these gray areas. Um, It's not black and white. It's not a one size fits all. It's not saying no kid should ever go to school. Every parent should keep their kid home and homeschool. It's like we do have, you know, society's complicated. People work one job, two jobs, three jobs, um, you know, one kid, multiple kids. Um, It's, you know, living close to family, not living close to family. Whatever the, everyone, people have to make the decision that works best for themselves. But um, it can become so polarizing when we like shut down the conversation because we're like, oh, you're a homeschooler. So that must mean that you think school is evil. It's like, I actually don't think school is evil. I think it's like, I think there's so many amazing things about school, but I do think it's a broken system. I do think it was designed um, for a society that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I, I don't think it's really come come up to speed with what our kids need. And, um, and I think unless we have the conversation, nothing changes. Um, like you mentioned earlier, you know, meeting the teacher in the in the homeschooling group. I've met so many teachers who have stopped teaching and, and started homeschooling their kids. I've got very close friends who are teachers. I think teachers are incredible. I think they're amazing people. Um, but I th- and and I think a lot of them are disenfranchised with with the system. So I think it's a conversation that we need to be having and and just try to figure out what. As parents, we can only make the decisions that's best for our individual children. And then if we can have the conversation so that it can spark change within the culture so that it can benefit all kids, I think that's really what we owe our kids to be able to have these uncomfortable conversations. And, um, you know, and it can be hard. Like if you think, well, I really want to homeschool, but I can't because I've got, you know, this job or whatever. Um, but one thing that I found with embracing this style of parenting is that it becomes a lifestyle for your whole family, doesn't it? It becomes how does everybody get what they need? If if my son didn't need me to be home with him, I probably wouldn't be doing raised good. Um, I would just be doing my corporate job um, or stayed in practice. It it changes you, and if you can be willing to try to start thinking outside the box with your child to make it work for your family, then. I think life can open up a bit. I love that. And it's so true. It does your whole, I mean, I look at the way my husband and I set 
set our days up is we're taking turns with the kids handling different elements of schooling and it's a lot of ball tossing and i admit by the end of the day i'm usually just wiped i'm done that's it i've <laughs> started but it does allow it to work for them and you know you said something sorry I, i'm going to backtrack just a minute because you said something that struck for me i remember reading the book project-based learning and when it goes to those fears about what if my kid doesn't know this what if they don't know this all that kind of stuff about the struggles we can have in kind of de-schooling ourselves. One of the components of that was talking about how if you, how did she put it? The goal for education is actually to teach our kids how to learn. Because if they know how to learn, there is no fact they can't learn. So even if they graduate not knowing something that another child learned in grade five, if they enjoy learning, they're willing to learn, and they know how to learn, then it's something they can easily gain later in life when they need it. And that, I think, is such a, a piece that gets missed in a lot of schooling education, not education, education, but the schooling education. And I do think you know, at least from the teachers I've spoken to, and I love teachers, half my husband's whole side of the family are all teachers. Like this is, <laughs> it was a bit of a controversial decision to homeschool, but it was, but they're very supportive of it by and large, because so many of them felt, as you said, disenfranchised themselves, because it's a system designed by those that aren't in the classroom. The funding is designed by numbers and they don't account for the experiences of so many teachers out there. And I think if you ask a teacher to design a classroom, it's going to look really, really different than the current system that we have right now. But they're kind of pigeonholed into it and told this is what you're supposed to do and this is how it works. And, you know, I don't know a teacher that doesn't think the system has problems and can be fixed. It's not saying it's completely, you know, needs to be thrown to the curb, but they all acknowledge there are strong limitations to what they can do to help children learn because of things put in place by those above them on the food chain there. And that's, I think, why these conversations are so important. And for parents, when parents realize that if you are in a schooling situation, it is good to speak up. It's good to vocalize to those in power to go to the PTA, to go to whatever, if you can, not everyone can. There are a lot of people that, again, looking at situations, you're working two jobs, the last thing you're doing is getting involved in a fight with the school or the PTA or the school board over something. But for those who can, that's such an important piece to getting things changed going forward. So. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I couldn't agree more with all of that. Yeah, it's such a huge topic. So although it sounds like we've kind of glorified homeschooling here, I think a bit, outside of our own de-schooling, I know I have challenges. So I'm curious, what have you found to be the hardest parts thus far of the system as you have it? I, I, I think a bit of what we what we talked about, just it it sparks a lot of self-growth in me because it's just facing my fears and like I, I think as mums, I, I don't want to, um, well, I, I think as mums, we are often the ones who do all of the reading and, um, you know, read all the parenting books and listen to these podcasts and come up with the ideas and then go and um, 
other messengers to our to our husbands or partners and I think this is what we should do and and I know that my my husband was you know for, for quite a while you know we've, we've got to have a system like what's the system where he's going to start to learn what if he doesn't start start to learn to read I mean with with the reading and then and and I kept saying like it's going to be okay like it's okay like we've got to wait we've got to wait so I think that trust and then when it suddenly the floodgates opened and I remember talking to his homeschooling to his teacher and she said, I see this with homeschool kids all the time. They just, when they want to learn to read, they'll learn to read in two weeks. And, um, yeah, so so I think probably for me one of the biggest challenges is just facing the fears and then not putting that onto my son. Um, keeping that fear to myself and dealing with that and trusting in it. But then also, you know, sometimes those fears can be warranted. You know, it could be a gut feeling like there's something wrong here. There's something that we need to, there's a gap here. There's something that we need to address. We might need more help. But, um, yeah, I think that would be the biggest part. I think um, socially was was another issue that I found, you know, made a lot of friends when my son was a baby and then, you know, they, they get to a certain age and then they start, then, then all the kids all the mums and the babies are available and then they're all in um, preschool and, and and if you're not then in the same school, then suddenly less available. And and so I did find that a little bit challenging sometimes. We did some homeschooling groups um, and that's part of the reason why we've moved to an island <laughs> because, well, Bowen has got the most number of kids per capita in Canada. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and like my like Tom's an only child and, and I think that's um, probably contributes. He's just so gregarious and he makes friends. Like we just have to walk out the door. We walked out the door to go collect the, cause we don't have, our mail doesn't get delivered to our house anymore. So we really feel like we've moved to the country. We have to walk up to the mailbox with our little key and go to the community mailbox and there's kids out playing. He makes friends. We make friends, right? We'll come and, you know, go down to the beach cause of the pandemic, we can't catch up, but we'll be socially distanced outside. But, um, yeah, socialising, I think, was one of the harder things. So that was partly why this was our solution, this sort of hybrid solution. Um, but other than that, he loves learning. And I think part of part of it is realising that every day is not going to look the same and that's okay and that learning may happen in, like, concentrated. There might be, like, three days where he's just into wanting to read everything about this particular subject and then we might not do anything for a few days and having faith that that's okay and just figuring out what works for you and your family that's the social bit is really interesting because i know that's an oft criticism of homeschooling how will your child socialize and by and large i found that to be i mean just perfectly honest a bit of a crap argument because my child would socialize just fine with all the people we saw of mixed age groups and backgrounds and everything. It it was not all the same age group of friends. There was a much larger range, which I really, really appreciated uh, in that. So that was, you know, something there. But where I found the struggle, I think, socially, and I don't know if you can relate to this going back a bit at the beginning, the lack of it's not discipline, it's coercion in the early schooling to keep kids' behavior in line. My kids both are just far more gregarious and out there and physical and all of that than a lot of other kids we meet. And you get, 
the judgment that comes when you meet up with with other families. There's always some who have the kid that's in school getting in trouble for it. And they're just like, oh, it's so nice to see this. Thank you. I'm just now this is great to know it's not just mine. But that was one of the harder parts for me, I think, to see. And again, just okay, I know having to go back in my head, I know this is normal. I know this is this is normal childhood. This running all the time, not wanting to sit still, not wanting to sit through a 30 minute lecture at, you know, the science center or something without being involved and active. This is, this is what childhood looks like, but man, was that hard. Did you have that? Or was that just, are these just my kids? (laughs) (laughs) No, I've had that. I actually started writing a blog post that I never finished. Um, My son was about, uh, he was like three and we were going to this music group and and we would sit down and sing and they'd do different things but I but I remember at one point there was you know circle time and and all the kids and the mums are sitting down and and his favorite thing about going to this class was Marlo one of the other kids in the class and they would just run around and have fun and I and they're running around and I couldn't care less I'm like this is awesome I don't really care about the singing like you know if the singing's a bonus if we do that, but really I'm just here for him to socialise him. And uh, I remember the teacher saying, this is not about socialising and having fun. Sit down and sing. I was like, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, we've had so many instances like that. And, um, yeah, knowing what kids, I, I've, you know, you read, um, who was it? Was it Carol Black, her amazing um it's not a poem is it like an excerpt from where she talks about you know comparing um you know it's like looking at um at say tigers in a zoo as compared to looking at them in the wild or or an orca stuck in a stuck in sea world rather than looking at them looking at their behavior in the ocean and saying that the that the orca swimming in the ocean swimming too fast <laughs> they're going too far this is what kids are supposed to be like when they're in the wild, when they're in there, when they're when they've got an environment that suits who they are, rather than them having to fit themselves into a little box that us adults say they need to. Well, I I find that so many of those boxes are there because they're convenient for us adults. It doesn't have to do with what's best for children. It's this is easiest for me, and therefore this is what I'm going to do, right? As opposed to something else. So I think that's always important to remember that it's not always, um, it's not always that this is even what we could consider best for children, that it's not an improvement upon what happens in the wild and, you know, a, a natural evolution. It's, it's simply, it makes life more feasible for us to get through you know, you have 20 kids that are all running screaming, it gets to be a little hard at times. Although that said, there are school systems that seem, you know, you look at the Finnish system and their early education of free play in how they approach it right off the bat. They seem to have found a way to do that in classrooms, teachers, granted they're outside a lot, haha, <laughs> nature. So there's that little element to it too, but it doesn't need to be. And I think this is why these discussions help because we do start to think about other systems and other systems have found ways to make education better 
for kids or the rather not education, schooling better for kids to meet the educational needs, the curiosity needs, the nature needs, the social needs, all these things come in together in a way that optimizes their education. Yeah. And I think it's the Finnish system or, or Scandinavia in general that don't start formal learning until the kids are seven. They yeah. don't even start to try and teach them how to read. Yeah. And I remember I was talking to Rachel Rainbow about um, learning to read and, and she was like, yeah, but do you know the reason why we want kids to read when they're like five? And, she, and I said, why? She said, because they need to read to be in school so that they can read the worksheets, so that they can do the work, so the teacher can teach the kids. It's not, be, it's not for any, they don't, it's not an emergency. They're not suddenly needing to order for themselves at a restaurant. Like they don't need to be able to read when they're five, six, seven. It doesn't really matter. No, um, and what matters matter. is that they don't start to, you know, I see that my son is, you know, he's, he's a bright kid. He's a smart kid. And he likes to do well and he's very sensitive to if he starts to pick up that I think that he's not very good at something, that he's not very good at reading, then he'll stop wanting to learn how to read because he won't want to be exposed for not being good at that. So I have to be very careful with him that, you know what I mean? Like you've got to make sure that you're looking at what are we trying to get out of this? And like you mentioned earlier, we're looking at, um, having kids that have still got their curiosity, kids that are able to learn, the kids that are able to problem solve, kids that are able to get along with other kids. Like I've done well um, in my professional career um, in the jobs that I've had, not necessarily because I'm that good at what I do, but mostly because people mostly like me and being able to just get along with other people. Like you don't need to be the smartest or the brightest at things. But if you can get along with others and, um, you know, have a good sense of who you are, I think so many of us end up spending our late 20s, 30s, early 40s trying to figure out who are we going to therapy. Like if I can just, my son knows who he is now and if he can just keep on that path, he doesn't have to waste all this time later. Um, and I think, yeah, Pam Leo's got a quote that goes something like, you know, we the and I believe it, we either do the work now and and help our kids now or they'll do it later. Um, and I think, yeah, childhood serves so many more purposes than than just spending it in school. So I got a bit off track. but That's okay. okay. No, it's relevant though. It is because, you know, the long-term goal here is we're teaching our children, we're socializing our children to send them off into the world. And, you know, I don't think any parent wants to send a child that is ill-prepared, doesn't feel competent, you know, struggles to see their place in this world. And these are all things that we want to instill in them as much as possible. So it's definitely something that is relevant to the schooling because I think schooling, you know, you, going back to the social element again, is you think about things like bullying, and being able to get along or feel your sense of self-worth. My daughter's the same. If she feels like we think she can't do something, it will shut down. And that isn't what we want either. That's not the type of learning I want her to have. And I still fail at it sometimes. And this is, you know, when we go to what's difficult, I have to add in here for any parent there, I don't know about you, 
I think I suck as a homeschooling parent and I still do it and I'm still learning and I still try, but I'm not good. And I think it's because I'm actually going to take this idea of de-schooling home now because I really need to. I get so stuck in that idea of, oh my God, we haven't done enough. What are we, okay, we have to look at this. And then my anxiety drives how we approach a conversation or a discussion or anything else. And so in as many ways as I've found ways to work with her and her strengths and her weaknesses uh, to facilitate learning. So for example, if you do happen to have a dyslexic, I will just say, we do video reports for kind of anything and everything that she's interested in. So she loves science. So when she learns something, she likes to make a video of it. So we don't do written reports because writing for her is really, really hard and it drains her and it's, it takes the joy out of everything. So we do small bits of writing to like writing cards to people, things like that, because that is enjoyable and fun, but it's not this huge intense thing. So we do video work. So that works really well. But then I get these days where it's awful because I'll be like, no, we can't do this. If we can't do this, then I can't homeschool. And this is just, you know, we're going to have to find a school and you're going to have to go. And I don't know what to do. <laughs> and then she just looks at me wide eyed and I'm like, I'm sorry. That's me. I can't. <laughs> this, is, this is all on me. You're great. I apologize. <laughs> but it is so hard because it's so not supported really well. And I still feel like we have more support than most people out there. So I totally get not wanting to do it. Um, and I look at the time here and I really, really, really wanted to talk to you relevant to all this. You mentioned Rachel Rainbolt, who I think was also at the summit and that yeah. may have been part of that conversation, but you did get the chance to interview Dr. Peter Gray. Yeah. So if you're at all interested in education and you don't know Peter Gray, I think it's fair for me to say, please go out and find his work and read it. So I want to hear from you. So a little bit about the summit, just to backtrack here, Tracy ran the most amazing Raise Good Parenting Summit. It was all online. There were 30 speakers over five days, right? Or is it six days? Five, five, five six. Yeah. I knew it was five and six somewhere in there. All went together. Um, I was very lucky to be one of them, which I thank you so much for having me because it was an amazing experience. One day I want to hear all about the insanity of how you came to do that, because if you want, you can go into it briefly and tell us, did you fall and hit your head and decide that that was what you were going to do? Um, yeah. But you got to speak to Peter Gray. So I'd love to hear some of what you found to be the biggest insights from that conversation, knowing that it's still available for anyone that wants to go and check it out. And we'll talk about that at the end as to where to find it. But what what was that conversation like? Um, well, I would I would just say, like you said, for anyone who doesn't know Peter Gray, I think all parents, whether you're homeschooling or not, I, I think his work is um, it, it's a must read. So his book, his his um, first book, I should say, is called Free to Learn, and he's recently put out four more books. Tracy, I don't know if you know those. I've got to order them. I think they're relatively small books, but yeah, he's got four new books out. Um, but Free to Learn is amazing. And I read that when my son was quite little. And yeah, interviewing him, I was just like, when, when you get an email back from Peter Gray saying, yes, I'll do it, just jumping off the walls and telling my husband, I'm like, he's like my hero. Like, this is amazing. And yeah, he's, 
he just, I find just watching him and speaking to him, he's just this grounding force. He's just so calm. Um, he he was a research professor who came into learning about self-directed learning sort of because of the experience that he had with his son who was in school and then it didn't work out and then he started attending Sudbury Valley School, which is a self-directed school. And so he's since dedicated his career to researching self-directed learning and he's now extremely passionate about it. He writes for Psychology Today and I highly recommend his blog on there. Um, he's very prolific with his writing. So, um, But really the main things that I take away from him are trusting the child, um, following the child, giving the child freedom to learn, which which is, you know, his name of his book is Free to Learn, and um, giving them time for play. Kids learn so much through play. Play is really important. He's passionate about play. Play should be, academics should not come above play in childhood. That's it. That, that would be probably the biggest lesson that I take from, from Peter Gray. And Whenever I hear my son play, there's there's no way I'm going to interrupt that. Like that that uh, there, there's no learning that is more important than that. No academic learning. So yeah, really, that that children will learn to read and do maths naturally on their own. Obviously, as parents, we help that. We need to provide the environment for that. Um, when it comes to our homeschooling, uh, like we were talking about earlier, Tracy, you know, I take a lot of inspiration from Montessori and. Um, you know, setting that that the environment is the third teacher and um, and those sorts of things. But yeah, Peter was Peter was amazing. Um, yeah, not not solving our not solving our kids' problems for them. You know, letting them figure it out with themselves with with the, with other kids as well. Um, I think a bit of what you touched on earlier too, like accepting that we're not responsible for our child's success. I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves thinking that we're going to be the answer, we're going to be the reason why our children succeed or fail. And, of course, we have influence over that, but we need to not put so much pressure on ourselves. You know, we can't take responsibility for their failure and we also can't take responsibility for their success. They're they're their own separate person. And, um, yeah, I think I think they're the main things that I took out of it. I just love all of his work. Can you elaborate a bit for people who don't understand? Because I remember being confused when I first saw free to learn, the freedom to learn. What aren't we all free to learn whatever we want to learn? Is that not I just hear people thinking that in the back, like, uh, yeah, you can learn whenever you want. So what does that mean for you guys? And I, I mean, through Peter's work and what that definition is, how would you help other parents understand that? Uh, for, for me, it means giving my son as much freedom as he can possibly have in his childhood for him to, um, define what his childhood is. And, you know, obviously with, with my input as well, but, uh, yeah, giving him the time and space to learn what's important to him. I think we talked about it earlier as well, you know, when, when the school system really first came about, it was really about producing products. It was about producing uh, workers who would do what they said it, they needed to do in factories and, you know, what, whatever jobs were, were around at that time. Um, and I think now it's saying 
you know, we we want to produce individuals who um, are, are able to learn, are able to problem solve, are, are able to follow, um, you know, their path and know who they are so that they're not wasting their time um, following careers that might not be right for them. Um, yeah, just, just having as much freedom as they can in childhood. I think when I think of Peter Gray, I, I think a lot about my dad as well because they grew up in, in a similar, similar time period. Peter is very, um, he loves talking about how much freedom he had in his childhood to just be off. His parents didn't know where he was. Um, and, and my dad was the same, grew up in a country town and was off, you know, riding his bike and making bows and arrows and, and scraping his knee and, and just being a kid. And I think we've taken so much of that away from our kids and we stick them in schools and then we drive them to soccer and piano and gymnastics and all of these things. And if they're passionate about that, go for it, but don't do it so that we can, you know, tell our friends that that's what they're doing or, you know, have a, get a medal or a prize. None of those things are important. I think what's important is that kids have got their childhood, that they've got time to be kids and that it's not a dress rehearsal for being a grown-up. Yeah, I love that. And I will add, too, to all of that is the other way that I also see the free-to-learn is, you know, there's this huge push nowadays for child-directed or play, play-based learning. That's the word I'm thinking of. And it drives me nuts because I will say it is still adult-driven play-based learning. So I've shared this before elsewhere. So anyone that's heard it from me before, please forgive me. Um, I had a situation with my son where when he was four, he got really into playing store and it was, he just wanted to put all this stuff on the table and then we'd walk back and forth and we'd hand over money. He didn't care. He took, you know, monopoly money. And there was just, there was no prize. You'd just say, how much was it? He'd say, he'd make up a number. I'd hand him anything. He'd take it. He'd hand me anything. There was no structure to that. And I remember hearing from so many people, oh, but that's it's a perfect opportunity. You could teach him numbers. You could, you know, label this, that this is $20 and this is what 20 is and 10 plus 10 is 20. And I'm like, I don't think that's what he's learning. Like if I, if I want to give him the freedom to learn what he wants to learn, I have to follow his lead in the play as well. And so I did. And as we played more and more, what kept happening was the very adorable, tiny little voice every time he'd finish. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Bye. And then he'd walk back over with stuff. And this would repeat over and over and over again. And pre-pandemic, he came into um, Timmy's with me to buy said Tim Hortons for anyone that's not in Canada. Um, and we went to buy something and he wanted to do the buying. And he went in and they handed it to him. And he gave them, and he looked and he just said, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Bye. And I realized right there was his learning, his giving him the freedom was actually learning the social element of a transaction. Not, he didn't care about the math and he loves math now, but that was not what his brain wanted to latch on to. And it just reiterated for me, giving children this freedom and this space to let them tell us what they're trying to learn, even if we don't get it right away. But if I had imposed, okay, now play is going to become about X, Y, Z, 
then I don't know that that ever would have been learned. And I sometimes have to remind myself when his Uno games become something that I don't even recognize and rules are changing and I'm trying to follow along. But I do trust that there's something there for him that he's really interested in exploring and leaving him the space and being able to say, hey, you know what? I don't think these rules need to be quite as fixed as we feel that they need to be. And again, this goes back to that de-schooling. So I'm so used to the roles having to be a certain way. We do things a certain way that deviating from it feels like we can't do that. that that's not how this goes. Um, but children don't learn that way. They don't learn in a linear rule-based fashion. They explore in almost that chaotic bloom that happens from something and giving them the freedom to get into that bloom, the space to explore it is crucial for their learning in the long term. So anyway, I see, I know I've kept us very long and I apologize. Um, but I want to hear before we go, please tell everyone a bit about the summit because this was, I think, the parenting event of 2020 um, in the pandemic world. And so if you have not heard it and you have not seen it, you really need to. So can you tell us a bit about it, um, where it's available? And obviously, I will include the link to it in all the write-ups and stuff for this so that people can find it there as well. But if you could just share a little bit about it, that would be great. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah, I was a bit mad um, embarking on 30 interviews. It didn't start out as 30. I told my husband it was 20 to start with. I thought it was going to be 20 and then it got to 25 and then and I stopped telling him. He was like, haven't you done all the interviews? And I'm like, just one more. <laughs> Ended up being 30. Um, and there were still so many people that I didn't get to talk to that were on. I had a big A3 piece of paper with all the people that I wanted to talk to. And, yeah, just through Running Race Good, you know, I've made connections with lots of people and, you know, read so many books and, and then thought, I'll just, you know, um, approach some of these people that are really mentors that they don't know they're my mentor, but I just think they're incredible and, and wanted to share their work with as many people as I could. And it, uh, yeah, it was, it was an honor for me to speak to each and every single guest that was on the summit. We had, yeah, 30 speakers in all, um, from multiple countries and uh, talking on all different topics um, like homeschooling, you know, self-directed learning, play, attachment, um, sleep with um, Professor James McKenna, um, breastfeeding with Pinky McKay. Um, you and I talked about highly sensitive children. Um, and we talked about, I talked about East, or elimination communication or early potty training, um, all of the different topics that um, that I've been interested in over the years as a natural parent and that um, I was thrilled that so many people love listening to as well. So it was available as uh, videos and audio files and then it also comes with um, some bonuses in there as well and it's still available just straight off my website. So if anyone wants to um, hop on and, and um, check it out, they're welcome to. And hopefully I'll do it again this year. That was going to be my question. Are you crazy enough to do it again? It's because it's, yeah. I hope you do. I say that in jest because I really, really hope you do because yeah. it was incredible. Well, I'd done it like um, I kept, yeah, it, there was so much going on for us personally. We were moving house, you know, when I was ready to, I did the, I did the interviews over the 
spring and summer and then it was yeah putting together all the tech in the background which as you know just makes you want to punch your computer and um and uh and then we were moving house selling our house and moving to this island and trying to launch it and um having dodgy wi-fi and um yeah anyway it all came together and it launched and it was a crazy week while i was launching it i was up late every night and um but it was kind of like when it was over, it was like, oh, we had this awesome party and now it's, everyone's gone home. And now what am I going to do now? <laughs> so looking back, though, I don't know how I did 30 interviews. So I have to um, find that in me again and uh, and do it again. But I loved every minute. So it was um, it was it was amazing. And uh, yeah, the plan is to do it again. Excellent. Well, I am very much looking forward to that. So, all right, everyone, you do need to go check this out. It is an amazing summit. And, you know, as, as Tracy said, there's so many different conversations on so many different topics. It touches on pretty much everything you could ever wonder about as a parent um, or anyone who works with children either. I mean, let's be honest, it doesn't have to just be a parent. If you work in education or anything, you know, there is this reading, the self-directed learning, all these conversations happening that are relevant to childhood. So please do go check it out. It is Tracy Gillette at Raised Good, which is www.raisedgood.com. And the summit is just a click on there that you can get to. And like I said, I will share a link as well in here. Tracy, thank you so much for being here. This has oh, been so much fun. It's so nice to actually be the one to interview you this time, <laughs> even though it's always more of a conversation, but it was absolutely lovely. And I hope we will do it again soon because I know there are so many more topics that you and I can talk about on this. So. Yeah. Yes, there sure are. Thank you. Thank you for um, doing what you do. Thank you oh, for putting parents and changing this world and making it making it better for kids oh my goodness you too my dear but i hopefully one day it all seems way more normal what we do that the conversations will be another couple people being like so we're trying the structured school thing and <laughs> no one seems to do it around us i don't know what's going on but we'll see from that but thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening and we will see you soon that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tracy about education and that maybe it's helped you in your own thoughts around educating your own children. Join me next time for a conversation with Dr. Greer Kirschenbaum, the founder of Nurture Neuroscience and the world's first neuroscientist doula. Here we're going to talk about all things brain, birth, babies, and parenting. So I am very much looking forward to it and hope you'll join me. In the meantime, if you feel like leaving a review, please do so wherever you're able to. And till then, happy parenting. <laughs>